this show is pleased to bring you Whiskey Westerns on Wednesday, direct from Dodge City, Kansas, featuring rich topics on the legends of the Old West. Whiskey to motivate. Westerns to inspire. Get it. Play it. Drink it. My name is Mike King, and I am the writer and producer of Wild West Podcast. My name is Brad Smalley. I'm the narrator of Wild West Podcast. And we would like to welcome you to Whiskey and Westerns on Wednesday. And the purpose of today's show... Well, Mike, we're going to drink whiskey and talk about the American West. Absolutely. And at the end of our show, we're going to do a short book review. Now, tonight's topic is about law and order in Dodge City. Which, uh, coming at a time when there really wasn't any such thing. Uh, matter of fact, Dodge City was known in those first three years as quite literally a hell on earth. And what it needed was a little bit of redemption. Because we're going with Redemption Rye. Uh, we haven't done a rye yet on this podcast, so thought that'd be a good place to start. Uh, we'll put a little bit of that in our open glass and we'll give it a run. Uh, and see exactly what this rye will do for us. Uh, this is a MGP product out of Indiana, uh, distilled there. They also make a, uh, a bourbon and another high rye whiskey, but we're going with the straight rye. It is 95% rye, in fact, in their mash bill. comes out at 46% uh, alcohol by volume, so it's going to be a little stouter than some we've had in the past. Well, let's do a little... Well, we have to do a little... Sure we do. Okay. And then, you know, Brad, I'm sure glad we brought her open glass this time. That's a hell of a lot better than that tin cup I'm, we I'm had thinking. last time, man. So I think we got to give it a little nose mm. test first. That is... That's definitely got that rye spice on there. Very heavy. And would you say a little pepper in that? Oh, black pepper, a uh, lot of, there's something else I'm getting in there. A little cinnamon, maybe? It's a little spicy. I can, it, 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 you can, can feel, into that. yeah, mm-hmm. we can feel the spice on this one. Definitely got the, uh, the, the anise, the, the licorice spice in there, which is pretty traditional for a rye. For a rye, mm-hmm. All right, so... Smell that oak barrel. I do. I do. Okay, here we go. That's definitely 46%. Um, Yeah, it's it's, it's, it's a couple of percent higher than the one we drank last week, which was 10 cup. And we were thinking that maybe that would have been 46% would have been a better percentage of alcohol and for I, that I one. still agree. I still, and I think that's just right for this one. I do. You know, it's... It's, it's, it's a little thinner on the taste yeah, than it was it, on the smell. And it's fairly fresh. It is. It's more, it's more uh, what's the word, floral. Floral is a good word for than it. Than a lot of rides that I'm used to. And it there is that licorice on the back end. Holy smokes. 
So what would you rate this one? What would you say, out of 10? Out of 5. Out of 5. I'd give it a two and a half. A two and a half. Two and a half. It's. I generally like rice. It's. It's a good whiskey, but it's that heavy licorice on the back end, more heavier than what I'm used to. That's that's keeping me from giving it a better score. Well, I like it for the freshness, so I'm going to give it a three. So let's get to today's topic about law and order in Dodge City. Uh, last week we talked about vigilantes and the vigilantes committee. Mm-hmm. Uh, now this week uh, we're moving on to, uh, past 1874. All of the uh, buffalo uh, are hunted out pretty much. Uh, the only thing that Dodge City really has going for it um, yeah, was the buffalo trade, and, and now it's kind of dropping off a little bit. Uh, economics may be dropping off somewhat. Um, but then something happened in Kansas that really made a difference in the economics for Dodge City, and it was called the quarantine line. And so let's talk a little bit first about why that quarantine line was important and how it changed the cattle drives in Kansas. Well, in order to tell that story, we really have to go all the way back to Abilene. Uh, Abilene and Joseph McCoy, who was the mayor of the city, really set the standard for uh, the economics of the Kansas cattle drives over the years. Uh, he built a stockyard. He convinced the, the uh, Texas ranches to bring their cattle up to market uh, and convinced them that it would be lucrative for them to do so, and in fact it was. Of course, it didn't do Abilene or Joseph McCoy any harm either. Uh, and as the, the economics, the cattle, the money started rolling in, so did everybody else who came in looking to, to feed off that cattle industry, making money from there, and they weren't all on the up and up. It, it brought in some of the rougher element as well that maybe they did, maybe they didn't really anticipate at the time, but it, they couldn't do anything about it. It was there. So they had to, to really kind of adjust right. you had to the, gamblers, the law and order, models, uh, all else. of the things that follow the cattle trail and the cattle towns exactly. started to migrate because why? Because there was a lot of money to be made. Oh, heavens yes, and there was a lot so, of money to be made. And so anyway, so you've got your first example in Abilene, and then it now shifts over to Wichita and Newton. Indeed. Uh, over uh, time, there were, there were a lot of different factors that, that kept pushing that line further west. Uh, one was that rougher element. Uh, they, as the cities started to grow, uh, settlers, you know, with families, kids moving in, churches moving in, uh, they wanted to push that rougher element out of the city. But in addition to that, those Texas cattle had were bringing up a tick-borne disease that's, that became known right. as Texas fever. Right. Now, the Spanish cattle, again, they'd spent 500 years building up an immunity to this. It didn't affect them in the slightest. But these domestic uh, European, Eastern cattle that these farmers and ranchers that were coming west were raising, uh, shorthorn cattle, it would slaughter them by the droves once they picked up that tick. So all of that together, uh, the, the, the communities, the state of Kansas, they kept pushing that line further west. Again, places like... Uh, Ellsworth, 
was a big one. Uh, Caldwell, Wichita, Park City. My name is Koji. And I'm Michelle. And this is the Japanese America Podcast. So this is where we look at all things Japanese American. We'll bring alive the history, culture, and people that make up this diverse community. In this month's episode, we'll examine Koji's unique family history. To help bring this story alive, we brought on actor and comedian Derek Mio. He was reported to be extremely pro-Japanese and anti-American in sentiment. Her husband was taken into custody by the military authorities under a warrant authorized by the Secretary of War, who was his enemy of the United States. He was my grandfather on my dad's side. To hear more stories about Japanese America, you can listen to this podcast anywhere you normally download your podcast. All of those became Western towns, and it seemed like that faction usually followed those cattle trails. So as they started shifting, uh, the prostitutes and the gamblers would pack up and Mm -hmm. then they would ship off and go to that location. And follow the money. But there was a lot to be learned from these previous cattle towns and what they had to do to keep order. What they did right, what they did wrong, that sort of thing. And many of the same folks followed from town to town as that as their jobs with that economy kept moving further west. So all of a sudden, it's announced that that trail is going to shift, and the quarantine line is now going to hit the Dodge. railhead at mm-hmm. Dodge City. Dodge City. And that was about 1874, 1875, when the city fathers learned that this big industry was getting ready to hit. Right, and as you alluded to, the by 1874, uh, the 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 Southwest Kansas buffalo herds had almost been hunted to extinction, uh, which is why they started looking further south in in Texas. And Dodge was at the perfect time. They needed a new industry. The city had been built on whiskey, had been built on the buffalo and the railroad and freight for the Santa Fe Trail. And where one industry left, they were they needed wide open for yeah. to fill its place, so and cattle was perfect 1875. Time. Now, what you have to understand is there's been a whole, uh, almost a year here, where the industry is probably failing. 1875, they get the news that the cattle trade is coming their way. Mm-hmm. And so I'm sure they started investigating about, you know, what do we do when it gets here? What kinds of things do we need to put into place? So they all got together, the city fathers, and uh, they had a meeting. They did. And they, you had, of course, both sides of the coin. You had the folks that saw the, the economy, that the saloons, the bars, the brothels, they saw all that money that was bringing in. They knew that that kind of thing attracted the, uh, uh, the drovers that were bringing the cattle up. But then on the other side, you had the uh, some of the other folks that they saw this. They had seen, like you alluded to, some of these other towns, Ellsworth especially. Yeah, um, it got pretty, it got pretty wicked in Ellsworth. It, it really did. Um, and Wichita, Wichita could have been close, but by the time they had everything figured out, the cattle were already coming to right. the city. But they saw the mistakes that had been made over there and said, "We cannot let this happen here." Dodge has already been wide open for three years. If we want to become a town, we're going to have to enact 
some rules and regulations, and we have to do it now. So the city fathers, they got together, and you said they kind of disagreed. They did. There was a lot of disagreement. Uh, it was well, uh, pure politics. Pure okay. politics. You know, we're, we're coming up on a, a November election. election yeah. And it's, yeah. Uh, this is probably the perfect time to be talking about this, this very subject. Absolutely. Uh, but what, what they did is they were able to compromise. Okay. To some extent. Uh, at least to enough of extent that they could continue to exist. Uh, they they got together. They passed uh, after much deliberation. Uh, they passed a series of ordinances. Okay, and and I have some of those provisions right here. Uh, so here's let's okay, read the ahead. first one. The first and second <laughs> provision barred animals from sidewalks, with the latter prohibiting the riding of animals <laughs> in the places of business. And you you know who we had to thank for that. Who <laughs> we have to thank for that? Uh, that was Dee Dee Colley. Okay. His name. He was an early city councilman, and uh-huh. he, along with his partner J. H. Mannion, both of whom served on city council, they used to ride their horses into businesses, or they they, they were the owners of the Long Branch Saloon. Okay. Before uh, the more famous Chocolate Beeson. So they I mean, didn't really want to Beeson clean before. up their saloon. Right. Well, they did. They wanted After to keep the horse. They wanted to keep the horses out, and I believe that in Dodge City today, there's still a law on the books. That you are not allowed to have a horse on the second story of a building. <laughs> um, so when those when, when we were talking about cleaning out the, the town, they were talking about riding the horses into the buildings. Mm-hmm. Uh, there wasn't anything about hitching the horse up. Mm-hmm. It was just I got yeah, I'm would, on my they horse. Do that, and and they probably thought they were going to get served whiskey it, right out of the bar on their horse. Uh, Dodge was a war zone, and it was for early three years. You could just ride right up onto the boardwalk, no matter who the hell is in your way. Ride right up to the bar. It was known to happen. And those boardwalks weren't very wide either. Probably the horse was wider than the in the boardwalk. But anyway, third provision banned the discharge of firearms within the corporate limits other than those empowered to employ same except upon the 4th of July, mm-hmm. Christmas, New Year's Day, and the evening's proceedings these holidays. Uh, there, I believe so there was I guess another you, one. There, well, Washington's birthday was another one. Well, okay. So you could shoot your gun off. It was July, mm-hmm. 4th of July. You can shoot it off at Christmas mm-hmm. and New Year's Day. It's kind of like fireworks. Well, and the, Yeah, exactly. So. Exactly. You, you cannot stop people from blowing stuff up on, on the 4th of July. It's just <laughs> times haven't changed. And Dodge City understood that in 1875. So they were being fair. Absolutely. Uh, with the fair. celebration of, of certain holidays and the six guy. They wanted a semblance of law and order, but they didn't want to just tick people off so bad that they didn't want to have anything to do with Dodge City. Okay, so let's let's take it. Most of the people out there, I mean, they, they watch these westerns, and they see these cowboys riding into town. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, if you think about it, there's how many what, how many cowboys in, uh, in one drive, what, what would you say? On how many cattle were coming in those first few years. But by 1880, which was the high water mark, they were running a million cattle out of Dodge City every year. So, really, during the summer months, because usually the cattle came in mm-hmm. between spring 
and late uh, late to early fall, right? Yes, spring to usually early fall. Uh, because the grass out on the pastures on the drives was green, and they could feed the cattle right. as they're driving them. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was a long way from so, Texas to Kansas. So. But what, you're, what we're looking at here is probably a small army of cowboys, Oh, absolutely. Get down at once. With all those ranches, all those herds driving up with all their different right. cowboys, and see most of them, uh, they were competitors with each other. All these boys wanted the best price for their own herd. Uh, you had occasionally feuds break out between the different herds. It, it, Dodge was a war zone in those. I can't stress that enough. So... Six guns, six shots, you got two six guns, you got mm-hmm. 12 shots, you got a small arm, army of cowboys mm-hmm. coming into town. That could make a lot of noise. Besides, that's the first time that they'd seen civilization in you know, two to three months. And they would probably take, what, target practice on the lamps and the windows, I would imagine. That and the was going to happen. And the signs. So now we got the third provision, uh, which it was smart on the city fathers, uh, you know. Uh, to no shooting firearms, but here's the one that seems to really draw the line. The fourth banned the carrying of firearms within the city limits by persons other than peace officers or persons mm-hmm. proceeding in and out of town. Well, and it that did, would be making somebody mad taking their guns off of them. It went beyond that. Uh, not just firearms, but knives of a certain oh. length. Anyone who had ever borne arms against the government of the United States of America, this the Civil War was a very recent memory. That's true. They were basically banning former Confederates from carrying weapons in town. Okay. Uh, it, so you think that still was going on? Oh, that was a the very... The North and the South that was, was still a, very a feud. serious um, issue. Absolutely. And that might even start an argument in the middle all of the, the street. All of these Texans coming up, uh, former Confederates. That's true. They were. And Kansas was, was a very notorious uh, for, state. Yeah, yeah. And then, yeah, they were coming into Kansas, mm-hmm. which was... Traditionally north, and mm-hmm. the south was coming north, and there you go. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, you got that a bunch of armed cowboys, and you start mixing that with alcohol, that could be a dangerous situation. It was a very dangerous situation, and they were aware of that. But still you have a faction of the the, the city fathers, because they, they hold an election in April, and they elect Hoover. And Hoover's the very first mayor, mm-hmm. but there's still a group of them that says, don't be too hard on these cowboys because they're not going to stay and they're not going to enjoy themselves, and we're going to lose money. Well, going back to uh, to our Christmas Eve council meeting, the, the first mayor was actually uh, um, Mr. Beatty. That's true. Uh, in which he owned a restaurant, didn't he? Uh, yes, he was partners with uh, with Dog Kelly for That's three right. years. That's right. And it's sort of a provisional mayor until things got more. Until more they official. could have a general election. And as even though that they had uh, they had all agreed upon these statutes and ordinances, they were barely enforced. Uh, Beatty had nothing to do with it. Beatty was not part of the law and order faction. So he kind of was for the wide open 
little, Why? A little he, more laissez-faire. Laissez-faire. That is okay. a perfect, perfect terminology uh, for that. You know, treat them right. Let them shoot their guns off. Mm-hmm. Let them ride their horses in the saloons every once in a while and, and don't get too tough on them. And it wasn't until you had an actual elected mayor that some of these ordinances started to be enforced. Now, what I've always found interesting is Hoover, as mayor, the uh, the man who started the bar that became Dodge City. <laughs> yeah, he was a lot more stricter. Made, than, yeah. made literally millions, millions of dollars. Millions of dollars. In today's dollars. Yeah. Selling liquor, cigars. Alcohol, he married a prostitute, oh. and this is the man who is in favor of heavy government restriction and law and order. Yeah. So, but he was, but you have to understand too, and a lot of people don't understand this. There really are three things happening here. One is you've got a, you know, the economic boom of, a, a, you know, the city fathers, which is divided. One wants more law and order, the other. But, you know, there's something behind some of this that a lot of people don't understand. There was a large German population here. Oh, absolutely. And if you look at the appointment of the first marshal, and we'll talk about that a little bit later, um, that has a lot to do with the farming element. Mm-hmm. Because you had German farmers who really wanted to settle the land, who didn't want to put up with all of this, mm-hmm. kind of like it was in Adelaide. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you had that st- a strong faction. So, all right, let's look at Hoover now. Hoover becomes mayor. He enforces the ordinances. And uh, you've got this one. But here's here's something that's in t- that people don't understand either. Uh, there was a north side of town. Mm-hmm. And then there was a south side of town. Mm-hmm. Now, I, Divided not, by the railroad tracks. The, not, the deadline. The deadline. You know why they call it the deadline. Uh, help me out there. If you go south of that, you wind, wind up dead. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, well, I I did not know that, but I would say that's pretty pretty right. But on on the south, on the north side of town, I think they were they wanted a lot more civility, Uh, you know, where your family could go and and enjoy their time, and it wouldn't be rowdy, and the gamblers wouldn't be there, the prostitutes wouldn't be there, and it was a clean side of town, and then you had the other side of town, which Mm -hmm. really kind of built up overnight. So that's really where they had to police a lot. But let me ask you this, and, and I'm, I'm really curious about this. Were they allowed to carry their guns on the south side of town? This is where a lot of people get confused uh, on this particular issue. The laws were the same in Dodge City, no matter which side of the railroad tracks you were on. Okay, so you didn't have any differences. They were city ordinances. Okay. South of the railroad tracks was as much a part of Dodge City as the north side of the railroad tracks. Now, how they were enforced, on the other hand, was occasionally very different. Okay. So... The south side, as you you alluded to, that was the sporting district. Right. Uh, That was... That's where they had that little tin pan alley that you talked about a long time ago. Right, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. It was not as 
It was just as lucrative, just as busy, just as, as nice as the north side of the railroad track. But uh, the further north you went, that's that's where you had your, your homes, your families. That's where people were building houses. So, Eventually, so, they started to build churches, that sort of thing. And Dodge hasn't changed in that regard. Right. The further north you go, the nicer things get. That's right. just the way it always has been. And so... Basically, you've got the the gambling, the whores, the uh, the liquor, uh, all the rough elements headed to the south side mm-hmm. of town. And, well, and in some cases... Coming, the cattle drives were coming from the south. Well, that's true. They stopped there. That right. was their territory. That's right. As the herds were parked south of the river... That's right. The south Dodge was fair game. So they really once put it, they came across that bridge through Second Avenue into North Dodge, that was a different that was a different ball game, right? A little bit of todo is a podcast about a little bit of everything for curious minds of all ages. I'm Christina, and you can tune in every weekday to learn about things like Cinco de Mayo, Chihuahuas, and volcanoes in Latin America. Episodes are bite-sized, 10 minutes long or less, and always Latin American related. Subscribe and follow A Little Bit of Todo podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. So really, they kind of built those saloons and that, all of that so it would attract those cowboys as they came in. Absolutely. Well, the reason the Long Branch Saloon itself became as famous as it was is as those drovers, they came over that river, the bridge that they had built over the river, Bridge mm-hmm. Street, now 2nd Avenue. Right. They cross into Dodge City, they get over the railroad tracks, and this, the one of the, well, the first door that they see is Charles Rath, Outfitter to the cattleman says that right there on the door, and the next door just east of that Long Branch Saloon, so, uh, facing them as they came so in. So it's kind of like that big sign that was, you know, everybody was attracted to. Stop you here. You might as well have said, "Welcome to Dodge." Walk, welcome to Dodge here, mm-hmm. and we have the Long Branch Saloon. All right. Well, okay. So Hoover's, you know, they've got the ordinances. Now they need to have some people to enforce it, and that becomes. A trick mm-hmm. because they have to have some really good people. Oh yeah. So let's talk about some of the first appointed people, individuals, mm-hmm. and their characters that was uh, part of the law enforcement uh, at that time. So we know that Hoover, right, appointed Dagger. The the mayor was an elected position. Right. The mayor then appointed. The city marshal. So Dagger was the city marshal, and there may have been some politics behind that because what uh, what I've been reading is that Dagger may have been possibly appointed because he helped with the German vote to get Hoover elected to mm-hmm. mayor. So now he, he gets Dagger. He's the marshal. Let's talk about him a little bit. Larry Dagger is an interesting figure. Uh, he doesn't really get the credit in Western history that he is due. Okay. Um, of course, you had many more more famous lawmen uh, after him. But he didn't get City. along with people very well. He didn't uh, because, well, he was German. Uh-huh. So you think Ger- that Germans are known for their stubbornness, their okay. tenacity. All right. And that defines Dagger to a T. Okay. Uh, he was, it was his way 
or no highway. Running, or the highway. And okay. he was 300 pounds of solid bully. <laughs> he was a big man. He, yeah, he had 300 he pounds yeah. to stand behind his iron yeah. wheel. What he said went. He, yeah. And damn you if you don't go along with it. But, but here's the interesting part of this is because Hoover, he appoints him. But then he says, you know what? I really need to probably take charge of who's your assistants are going to be. Mm-hmm. And so here's the story. And a lot of people kind of disagree or agree. But one of the stories is that he reaches out to Wyatt Earp, a very well-known police officer mm-hmm. in Wichita, and says, we'll give you the assistant marshal's position mm-hmm. at the same rate we're paying Dagger if you'll take it. Now, is that true or not? Well, you know who first told that story? Who's that? Wyatt Earp. Well, he's, he, he was all about Wyatt Earp. He, he, he told his story the way he wanted everybody to see his own he, legend. He's yeah. promoted himself better he than did. anybody else ever could have. Yeah. yeah, I agree with that. Uh, the, well, we, we could go into that whole story okay. in, in another cast, but the, the facts of the matter is by this point, Wyatt Earp was in Dodge City. He was. He had law enforcement backing. He, he served under Marshal Michael Meager in Wichita. Right. Uh, wound up in Dodge City after being, well, well just put it bluntly, he was fired. Well, that's what I wanted you to bring up, because mm-hmm. he got here not because by choice, but they really basically kicked him out of Wichita. He, he wasn't sought at. And it, again, <laughs> yeah, it all goes back right. to politics. That's true. Uh, Wyatt was supporting Marshall Meager in Wichita uh, during the election at that point. Uh, Wyatt publicly threatened to, uh, you know, to throw down with anybody who said anything against Michael Meager and the election happened and Meager said I can't right we can't have this it's getting it's, it's too, getting too out, hot yeah. button right you need to go yeah there was more controversy over him being there than him not being there exactly so they just exactly. kind of and let he, him go on down the road and he ends up in Dodge City now there's a couple of questions about why he ended up in Dodge City Wyatt Earp well, Some think that it was because his brother was running a brothel here. I think that's exactly why. Exactly. He was barely effective in Wichita. Uh, his brother James was already here uh, with uh, James and Bessie Earp. They were running right. a brothel, and, doing decent business. And again, they were following the, the cattle trail. The Earps were very strongly family-oriented. Uh, they were rarely apart for for. For too long. That's true. Wyatt went to where his brother was, right. looking for work. Right. He was here. He had law officer experience. And when the time was right, he signed, uh, he got himself a job as a, a, a police officer. Okay, so now he's appointed police officer. And the story goes is that now you can hire whoever you want to hire uh, as deputy marshals. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we'll just go along with you. Now, of course, that's kind of like pushing old Dagger out of the way and saying, hey, Dagger, you don't got any choice in this. I'm the mayor. We've got to get the best people in town for law and order. But his first choice is what, what I understand was a guy by the name of Joe Mason. Mm-hmm. Why did he pick Joe Mason? And a lot of people don't under, know, even know who Joe Mason 
Wise. Uh, Joe Mason is he's kind of a fun guy. And again, he's one of those folks that is, is sadly forgotten uh, in the story, even in Dodge City. Uh, and, and really, his his story begins and ends in Dodge City. But but even here, he's been largely forgotten. Uh, known as the the Apollo of Dodge, and he was called the Apollo of Dodge for what reason? The ladies loved, loved him. him. Yeah, he was, was a good looking dude uh, by by yeah. any standard. So you don't think Bat Masterman was attracted to his looks as much as what his ability? Uh, he was well. He was also good at his job. Okay. Uh, he he was effective in several different skirmishes uh, in Dodge City. Uh, there was uh, probably one of my favorite stories is when those uh, two fellers were standing in the middle of the street and they were whipping each other with with whips. They called it lap jacket. And it was just a game. Oh, they just yeah, they were out in the middle of the street just yeah. smacking each Taking other. Taking turns. Yeah. Each one had a whip and they were whipping each other. And hey, the first one. And was, they were probably laughing about it. They were having a good oh, well, time. Right, a little yeah. blood here and a little blood there. But yeah, the first one to die loses. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, Mason put a stop to that. Uh, he, he put a, uh, uh, another one that really cemented his, his claim as the Apollo of Dodge is there were a couple of prostitutes who were involved in a, a scuffle in the street, and he, he cleared that up, and as soon as he walked in, they started paying more attention to him than they did to each other. Uh, so he just kind of walks in the middle of them. They all kind of melt, and then he takes care of business. More, more or less. And they go on. More or less. He all was right. a very effective police officer. He so, really was. so Joe Mason, which a whole, lot of whole people don't know about, and then you have, of course, the two Masterson brothers. Oh, my, yes. You have Bat and you have Jim. Mm-hmm. Now, I think Ed may be still running uh, the restaurant at this time, but I'm not sure where he's at. But Bat Masterson gets selected for what reason? I mean, he's just coming out of Mobiti uh, with a, a hip wound. He can hardly walk. Bat uh, had a reputation from, from day one. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he was almost an unsung hero, to, wasn't he? Oh, yeah. before Dodge City was Dodge City. Yeah. Uh, after he had, uh, had confronted his former employer, to who had stiffed them on on the paycheck right. grading track. I remember right. that. Yeah. Uh, Ed and Bat had graded four miles of track yep. between Fort Dodge and Dodge City. And after the employer ran out, ran off with their money without paying them, they sat there and waited for him to come back. They got word of it. They met him at the train. Uh, that's basically Held it boils down to, I'll kill you if you, you don't, don't pay give me your money. money. Yep. And he paid him their money and yep. left, never to be seen again. Yeah. Well, of course, he's just coming out of, uh, you see, he's not around Dodge City in the early years that much. He's out buffalo hunting. He goes oh, yeah, out they're, to they're the, buffalo hunting. They're going back to and the, forth, uh, checking on the family in Sedgwick. And, uh, yeah. Dobie Walls, and he becomes Dobie the heroes Walls. there. And then, of course, for the, the scout the for the Red River War. So he, he really does come back as a hero, but a wounded hero at that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Yeah, he, he arrives in Dodge so City he gets, with a reputation and a, and a good one. He gets selected. Mm-hmm. So who then persuades... Wyatt to say Jim's on board. Well, Wyatt and Jim were quite good friends. Okay. Uh, 
because they hunted buffalo together, didn't they? They did. They did. Okay. Uh, and, and, and all three of them, uh, Wyatt, New, Ed, and Bat, uh, going way back. Uh, of course, Jim was quite a bit younger. Uh, and he was still staying back on the farm in the he early days. He was the youngest days. one, wasn't he? He was... No, Ed was the youngest Ed, one. No, Ed was the oldest, and he okay, had that, right. Jim, and then there were a couple of other brothers boys, and, and sisters hard to in keep there. up with all the Masterson boys. And by the time Jim started, he was old enough to sort of leave the leave the family farm in, in Sedgwick County and come to West. Even though we, we have the... And White and Matt were friends. They were respectful colleagues. They spoke very highly of each other their entire lives. But there are so many stories of, of Wyatt and Jim hanging out together. They're patrolling the streets together. Well, and he also ran around with that Dave uh, Mathers guy, too. At Absolutely. Some point in time. Yeah. So and we uh, talked about that. So uh, Jim, Jim is actually my favorite Masterson. He, Believe it or not. He really kind of goes on and after Dodge City and still mm-hmm. upholds the law. And then when we talk about also him being a part of that, uh, uh, the uh, county wars mm-hmm. uh, back in uh, he, the Cimarron and the courthouse. He, he, Jim combined the greatest qualities of his two older brothers. Yeah, he was just solid. as easy to get along with as Ed was, and he was just as tough, if not tougher, than Bat. Okay, so we have now law and order in Dodge City. We have the reasons why there was uh, these uh, laws put into place, mm-hmm. and then you had to have people that was going to enforce them. And basically, they had a very strong law enforcement Oh, yes. When the cattle drives came in. So did. we're going to end our story here because we want to take it out. And one of the things I want to bring back later is how this Joe Mason and Larry Dager and Bat Masterson get into a scuffle in the middle of the street. And that Joe was the one that breaks, that actually helps Larry Dager uh, beat off Bat Masterson. But that's another story to be be told. That that's an entire podcast, right? Absolutely. There. Uh, and the and the McGill guy. I mean, he's he's incredible. So, looking through my notes here, ah, here is something that I did not expect. Uh, but there was a guy by the name of Ryan. And he is all the way from Langley, Langley, British Columbia. And he emailed me. Another good Canadian. Boy. Absolutely. All he right. must have been he- hearing about stories of, of Hoover. Mm-hmm. And he oh, and the yeah. emails me and he says, Mike, would you do a book review or a spot for us, uh, for me, on my new book? And so I told him we would. And here's, uh, he, the, uh, his book is about the Model T and the transition between a guy that is part of the old west and now he's having to make this transition uh from riding his horse to getting on a model t and um so it really is a struggle between the new and the old uh it's a great book um he talks about modern machinery and on a texas ranch um and his kids get together. He says he doesn't want to have anything to do with the new machinery, but he get the kids get together. They buy him a Model T, and 
He now is faced with a gift from his kids and having to make a choice between his horse and a car. And so it's really a pull between the modernization of America and moving off the cattle drives into a Model T. Sort of the, uh, the new west instead the, of the old west. The new west. There's absolutely a separation there. I like that and it's the here. aging of the cattle drive finds mm-hmm. new life in the fast lane while those uh, around him, including his dusty, pinned-up horse, fear for the future. Mm-hmm. We want to say to you that uh, we would recommend that you read this book. We'll put the uh, title in the, in the uh, caption of the book up uh, and, uh, to uh, for all of our audiences that are reading this or is, watching it through the uh, and Mike, video. Is this, I, I got the link uh, as well. He, he sent me the copy of the book. I'm sorry I have not had time to, to read it myself. It's a great book. It's, he's a good uh, writer. He's a good writer. He's good. very it's well known. He's, he's got some good books out. This is It's available in paperback, as I understand. I, 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 yes. As and well as online or just? On, online. We'll get okay. the, the, the cover and uh, and get that information out to our, our listeners uh, so they can have a kind of a, you know, if they want to read a good book. Uh, you know, short stories are great. Short stories are wonderful because, uh, you know, a novel, uh, there's some poetry to short stories. Oh, absolutely. And, and this guy does a very, very good, and I'm, I'm not sure, can you say his name right here? Well, I'm going to go. It's, it's, it's Canadian. Brian Oot-Dewilligan. Oot-Dewilligan. Okay. Well, Brian, we apologize to you if we've said your name wrong, but we didn't really ask for you to pronounce it. It was all through emails. But uh, well, in, in, Irregardless, we'll have the link in the, uh, in the podcast, the show notes. Absolutely. And you can look it up for yourself, and, and please read the book. Anybody who... who goes to the effort of keeping the, the old west, the new west, the storage of the west alive as aces in our book. Yeah, look at us. We're still living the old west and telling the story, so I don't know if we really truly have made that transition. Uh, but we enjoy what we do, Brad. I enjoy what we do. We, we keep the west alive, and that's well, what's we, important. And we get to drink whiskey. You know, really, that's probably the best part of this show is drinking that whiskey. So, Hal, let's have one last toast of redemption and sign out on our show uh, of of Whiskey and Westerns on Wednesday. And we will say to law and order. Law and order will make you live. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. We appreciate your time and being with us today. We'll see you next week. Welcome to Wild West Podcast, where fact and legend merge. Wild West Podcast presents the true accounts of individuals who settled in a town built out of hunger for money, Regulated by fast guns who walked on both sides of the law, patrolling, investing in, and regulating the brothels, saloons, and gambling houses. These are the stories of the men who made the history of the Old West come alive, bringing with them the birth of legends, brought to order by a six-gun and laid to rest with their boots on. Join us now as we take you back in history to the legends of the Wild West.